0: This is Dojo Live, tech without borders, stories that bring us
1: together. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dojo Live. I am Tulio Sergusa, joined today by my co-host and co-producer, Carlos Ponce. Hi, Carlos. Welcome back. Good to have you. And today we're talking with Rishi Khanna, who is the co-founder and CEO, CEO, did I get that right? Yes, uh, of Inno8. Uh, so we're going to talk about an interesting topic today about digital innovation amidst the changing landscape that's been uh, exasperated by this thing called COVID-19. But before we go and do that, let's get to know Rishi a little bit. Rishi, could you please introduce yourself to the audience?
2: Yes, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Um, you know, a little bit about me. I grew up in India and I moved to the U.S. Uh, when I was about 17 and uh, came to uh, get my undergrad at University of Texas at Austin. Uh, I pursued, uh, you know, business economics uh, at, uh, at the business school uh, there. And uh, just coming out of school, I uh, got my first job at uh, Deloitte & Touche uh, as a consultant. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, soon after, about 16 months after, I decided to start my own IT consulting and outsourcing company. And I, uh, I still run that business, uh, a separate entity uh, named iShare. But four and a half years ago, my business partner and I, uh, Jeff Francis, started a, a company named no 8 uh, which is basically a digital product studio, uh, uh, you know, and a uh, uh, little about my personal life, uh, you know, I'm married, uh, I have a beautiful wife, uh, Priyanka Khanna, And we have two uh, 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 kids, uh, they're uh, 10-year-old twin boys, uh, Ayan and Araf Khanna, and they're both in fifth grade. And we reside here in Plano, Texas.
1: All right. Well, thanks for the introduction. Appreciate it. Uh, uh, Longhorn State. Awesome. Welcome. (laughs) All right. So let's get to know a little bit about Inno8. What gave birth to this idea? You said it's a digital studio. Tell us a little bit more about it.
2: Sure. Um, so, I, as I mentioned, I got into the uh, IT industry in the late '90s, um, and uh, you know, uh, number, the num- number one reason why we started No8 is that uh, during the course of those, those uh, 16, 17 years of being in IT, I, I realized that uh, there was a, there were a number of reasons why software product fails, but the number one reason why it fails is because the software does not meet the market needs and the user requirements. And, uh, you know, and the backstory for that is that, uh, you know, I will share one story. Uh, so we were working on this software product uh, to help, you know, improve the experience for one of our customers, uh, user and customer experience for one of our customers. And we spent a lot of time, uh, you know, uh, uh, talking about the solution and very little time talking about the problem and the needs of the, of the users. And, you know, we followed uh, our customers' uh, demand and we started developing this great product. Uh, you know, we hired the best team. Uh, we hired, uh, we had the best uh, software architects on the, on the on the project. We spent six to eight months building the you know the best uh, software that we could we could we could build, and we launched it. And the you know the worst thing came out towards the end. Nobody wanted it. The product did not solve the problems uh, the client predicted it would. The users didn't want to use it. And so we spent all this time building this great software. Without validating the the software problem that we were trying to solve, the use case was never solved, and the users were never involved in in the in the development of the product. And I realized that was happening way too often. Where you know we're building software and nobody's using them. So uh, you know we felt that we needed to uh, revisit that process. Uh, you know uh, we we wanted to keep the end customer and the user in the loop when building the product. We wanted to jump in. We didn't want to jump in in building the solutions from the get-out. We wanted to spend more time in developing and understanding the the product, the, the problem that we're trying to solve. And unfortunately, customers don't think that way. And we realized that was, uh, you know, the case where customers uh, feel that when they hire a developer, they want them to start developing right away. They don't want them to understand why they're developing the software in the first place. So anyway, that sort of, that backstory led for us to figure out, you know what, we need to, uh, you know, instead of investing all the time, and money that we're building and developing uh, better, hiring best people, developing best tools, ha- having the best processes and de- best teams to work on the project, let's figure out what's the best way to validate the customer problem. How is What's the best way to validate the user needs? What's the best way to ensure that we decide what the, uh, the, the you know, how, how do we uh, sort of, define what success looks like early on. So when we actually do build a software uh, product, we actually build it properly.
1: Uh well, so you know sound, so it sounds yeah, sounds interesting Rishi it sounds like that particular company went from ideation straight to building an MVP without going through any kind of validation <laughs> proof of concept or uh or uh, even just having a canvas to figure out what they're doing but so so let's get right into it let's introduce the topic today uh Carlos hmm. what's the topic that we're going to be talking about today and we're going to learn a little bit more about some of those experiences uh Rishi please Thank tell you. us about the topic thanks You're on mute. <laughs> Good,
0: I was just playing with you as usual. <laughs> I'm known as the mute guy. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, anyway, the thing is, as you know Julia, well, here's the thing, uh, as a result of the changing landscape uh, across all sectors of heightened use of digital tools due to COVID-19, uh, it's crucial crucial for businesses to evolve in this new world. So that's why uh, our guest chose the following topic. He chose to talk about the importance of digital innovation amidst the changing COVID landscape. So I'd like to ask our guest as uh, the first question. Uh, Rishi, tell us, tell us on the audience, please. Why did you choose this particular topic? Why did you think the question might not be necessary, but why did you think it was relevant for this day and age?
2: Sure. Uh, while I think the topic of digital uh, innovation has been around for many years, it's uh, you know it became more uh, relevant uh, during during COVID uh, because of uh, you know the whole uh, survival mentality got kicked in, where companies needed to redefine who they are, and th- there were a lot of things that they weren't able to do, which were normal, right? Uh, they weren't able to be uh, be close to the customer. They had to serve the customer, uh, you know, from a distance. Uh, so, uh, you know, so before COVID, uh, uh, digital transformation, innovation was much of a luxury, but because of COVID, it became more urgent. Uh, the circumstances, landscape, and environment changed and made it more essential. And, uh, uh, you know, it was like innovate or get disrupted.
1: You know, it's interesting that how many companies... Uh, it's interesting how many companies find themselves uh, at a disadvantage whenever something that they didn't plan happens, right? Be it a pandemic or a major economic downturn or, uh, or a competitive threat they didn't plan on. And the reality is uh, that in the back of their minds, they knew something was off, right? They knew they weren't doing something that needed to be done, but business wasn't hurting. And so there was no sense of urgency to get ahead of it. So uh, would you say that some of the lessons learned in the past seven, eight months from companies that quote unquote caught themselves at a disadvantage who have had to basically digitize their business, would you say that they've learned perhaps to get ahead of these things and plan maybe a little bit uh, ahead with making the necessary changes before change happens to them? Uh, what's been your experience in terms of the mindset of organizations that were maybe a little more reluctant to invest in being innovative in advance of the need to do it by being proactive? What's been your experience uh, so far?
2: Well, in I think uh, my general observation uh, before and after is that uh, customers, uh, you know, uh, and and businesses don't necessarily wish to change much. Uh, Because uh, change is, uh, you know, sometimes unnecessary for them uh, or change is hard or change is leads to potential failure. And so I think what's uh, what the pandemic has taught us is that, uh, you know, that uh, in circumstances such as this, where, uh, you know, where failure was sort of the option in a sense that, you know, they may have gone out of business, but they were forced to change. They were forced to try new things. They were forced to do things differently because they had no other option to do so. So it's sort of theory of constraints kicked in for them.
1: And so what have some of the key things that you've noticed that have become like necessity in terms of uh, getting started? Those organizations that were a little bit behind the 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 the, the, innov- the digitizing, what have been some basic block and tackle things that you've noticed that they've had to do. And those companies who have maybe still haven't done something, what are like the first few steps they ought to think about?
2: Yeah. So, you know, uh, one of the things that we've seen is that any business that is trying to innovate and try new things is sort of creating a task force, a group of people within the organization that's uh, been designated uh, to try and look for new ways of doing things and their job is to identify uh, use cases and identify uh, scenarios when the, 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 the change and, and the new innovative ideas can be implemented within the organization. So that's one of the first things that I see organizations doing is started to invest time and resources into uh, keeping the lookout into the future. Uh, you know, Before they were looking out like right in front of them, now they're looking out deeper in the future.
1: So what are some of the key things that organization ought to focus on? You mentioned earlier about an experience where someone built an amazing product that no one adopted it because they didn't think about the actual need or use case. So what are some things that organization ought to think about in terms of, Hey, we need to go digital. Everything's online now. Right. You know, but there's the risk of like, do you, do you do it in a way to just rush and do it or what's the steps that they ought to follow to think this through and do it in a way that's appropriate for their business, right? Because what might be appropriate for, for business A may not necessarily be appropriate for business B. So how are you helping organizations through that, through that conversation? What are some of the things that come up that you, find yourself needed to push back at times and say, hey, this is what you want to be thinking about and here's why. What are those things? I'd love to hear them and share them with the audience as well because I'm sure that they're listening and let's take some notes as well.
2: Sure, sure. I think uh, before we have clients uh, uh, wanting to invest in something new, a new product, digital product, I think we like to uh, you know, uh, emphasize on having the customers uh, take a step back and uh, you know, help us and help the team uh, get involved in understanding what led them to think about this product, uh, you know, and to understand the needs, the pain points, the frustrations of the users that they're trying to solve by doing this. So we want to sort of uh, invest more time on the problem island, uh, as this, as they say, uh, instead in sort of focusing on the solution island. And uh, having us uh, engage with more customers, learn about uh, what uh, the user persona is, the customer persona is going to be and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, and the, what the goal of that uh, particular, uh, you know, customer's needs are going to be. Uh, and then we are able to solve that and bring that outcome uh, to light more, more uh, uh, you know, I would just say solve that problem better with our solution that we're trying to build for them. So we, fe- we feel that we start off with the customer validation of the problem and spending more time on that on, on, on that subject. Before we get into the solution and building the solution itself,
0: <clears throat> Rishi, I have a question. Um, have you uh, have you witnessed specific uh, spaces or verticals, or so companies in specific basis, spaces or verticals, uh, have you witnessed, or, or or even helped them to pivot, you know, from one space into another, and precisely because of COVID nineteen?
2: Yes. Uh So, uh, you know, there was a customer that we were engaged with uh, that was uh, uh, focused on uh, building a solution uh, for the retail industry. And the solution was, uh, uh, you know, primarily helping them uh, achieve uh, inventory control. Uh, You know, uh, while uh, because of COVID, uh, the retail industry has been, uh, you know, has been, uh, you know, I would just say, uh, you know, moved into the into the into the cloud and and, and into the e-commerce business. Uh, so they had to pivot and use that same solution in more warehousing space instead of using it only for uh, you know counting inventory in the retail environment. So we had to revisit how we're going to use the solution to validate and uh, and and speed up the process of maintaining uh, you know uh, inventory for the customers.
0: Okay, so in that sense, you wouldn't say that. COVID-19 is necessarily a killer for specific spaces or verticals, but they're kind of pushing them to either get creative or uh, maybe find a new approach or find a new uh, way to do things, uh, move from brick, to brick and mortar to digital. So those types of scenarios, right? And so uh, how, how do you do this? Uh, what is the best way to seamlessly uh, uh, help your clients with this pivoting?
2: Uh, well, I think uh, I think uh, you know one needs to understand uh, that uh, in in a scenario where you have uh, where uh, you know sometimes a uh, uh, sense of urgency of making a pivot is is vital, uh, I think it's important to figure out what resources do we have currently within the organization and the assets that we have in terms of uh, you know uh, solutions that we have uh, which allow you to figure out what are the other use cases you can solve with it. Uh, and and those allow you to create that pivot, uh, you know, more easily. Otherwise, it's a more dramatic pivot that you're trying to do, some, something completely brand new. But you have to sort of re- uh, look into your uh, arsenal of uh, you know tool sets and and see what what you can actually best. So, and one example sort of comes to mind with another customer uh, customer that we uh, engage with. We were building a more like a customer loyalty system for uh, for the auto industry for the, for the dealership and we had to revisit uh the same assets could be utilized uh to uh to uh, you know help in the uh in the uh you know medical uh, industry instead of having uh, being so uh, customers can now uh queue up uh you know instead of being queuing up to uh you know get the car service, now they can queue up to get themselves uh, uh, uh visit the doctors and and and, uh, and create that uh you know uh, smooth uh Uh, 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 you know, pipeline of patients coming in without them having sort of all being waiting in the wait room. So, uh, so how do we use the same uh, customer loyalty and customer, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, solution that allows you to ensure that customers are coming in at a a defined period of time within the, within the office visit so that they can, uh, so we can ensure that they don't get infected and we, we, the customer is able to be uh, served better by the, Although patients are being better served by the by the, by the doctor's
0: office thank you
1: Clear, rishi yeah, yeah clearly yeah. technology is 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 reshaping the way companies do business and uh in some cases permanently uh what what are, are you seeing some trends in the past specifically in the past year or more so in the past 7 8 months so any trend emerging that could be a telltale sign of things to come you know some of these might be temporary changes some of these might be permanent what are you seeing in terms of any trends anything that's come up uh, that you're sort of seeing a pattern toward the uh, propensity towards certain things that consumers want now that they didn't care for perhaps even uh, nine months ago
2: well you know there are a number of industries that are going through some permanent some temporary changes and we don't know what's going to be uh, coming out of uh, post pandemic in in those industries uh, you know, I think uh, you know. I think the, uh, the delivery of services and products to a household is is not going to go away. I think uh, people have gotten used to getting more and more groceries and more and more food deliveries, and now even uh, retail products being delivered to your uh, to your doorstep. So I think uh, the delivery services is is a trend that's that's probably here to stay and probably become even more uh, prevalent and important moving forward. Uh, you know things that you never thought are, are going to be, uh, be delivered are now being all delivered to to your uh, to your footsteps so uh, so i think that's that trend is is here to stay and it's going to be affecting a number of industries at the same time
1: now the impact let's let's take that for example in the retail space with home delivery service um Clearly, that's here to stay, but that is not necessarily an easy thing if you live in a big building, right? if you're if you're delivering to someone's home, you leave the stuff in the front porch or it's you got the space to drop these things off. But in a building with a hundred people, a hundred families there, that become that becomes a challenge. Where do you leave this st- these items, and there's always the risk of things getting stolen. So some companies have moved towards drop shipping. And, you know, where you could go pick up the stuff at the post office or at a location like Amazon uses a number of things. They have their own stores. They have Kohl's, they, uh Whole Foods, et cetera. But they're not the only retailer that's doing that. There are other retailers that are also moving into that drop shipping business model. Do you foresee the potential where some real estate, for example, will be that's that's, you know, law, commercial real estate? where a lot of spaces out there that's kind of basically sitting empty, right? Because some of these businesses may never return back to those retail brick and mortar spaces. Could these be utilized as dropship locations? Is there an opportunity here to, for the commercial real estate business to, to use and leverage this movement to digitize and offer capabilities that perhaps they hadn't thought of before? Any trends like that? Have you seen that perhaps? I'd love to hear any stories around that happening.
2: Well, I think uh, the news is already uh, coming out from Amazon that they are partnering up with the malls to be able to have uh, the, the, some of the mall, uh, you know, locations be converted into warehouse space and potentially a pickup sp- a spot for uh, for one to pick up, uh, you know, more uh, items there. Um, I mean, I think uh, Amazon has also created, uh, I mean, their own product, uh, Ring. You can now deliver stuff into your garage uh, by giving them permission to do so. Um, you know, I think uh, curbside pickup is uh, going to is going to be something that's going to be here to stay as well. So, being able to uh, pick up stuff fr- at the malls or at the stores to be able to do that safely without necessarily going inside. Um, so there are a number of trends. Uh, you know, commercial real estate. I see that there's a big trend of consolidating a number of uh, smaller warehouse spaces, sort of giving the last mile uh, access. Uh, you know, and a quicker access to goods uh within uh, different locales uh you know uh, so i see i see that's uh, that's another commercial real estate trend that we that we are seeing uh you know currently
1: It's interesting. The promise of digital was always the idea of self-service, right? Self-service is always great service because you're the one (laughs) providing it, right? Uh, In essence, also, (laughs) it turned everyone into an employee. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The shipping companies figured this out a long time ago by basically giving you the equipment, uh, I mean, the, the technology in your hands to print your own labels and essentially, basically, turn you into the employee of the company because you're doing the, the work now what's happening is uh in a way with uh with pickup service you're kind of also now extending the uh the employee base <laughs> into the consumer who's like hey you place an order you come and get it uh if you want to get it safely and you and that and you want to avoid it again maybe getting lost because you live in a building or what have you so it's an interesting phenomenon that more and more self service seems to be the way everything is going and that's isn't that really the promise of digital to empower the end user the end customer to receive the service on their own terms and to basically manage that relationship themselves uh, is that the trend that is now becoming sort of the thing that is uh putting the the nail on the coffin if you will that this is this is how it's got to go if you're not planning it this way you're going to fail at this. What are you seeing in terms of that that trend?
2: Well, you know, I think from uh, from the st- trend standpoint, I, I I see that the empowerment empowering the customer and and the consumer uh, is uh, letting getting them to take on some responsibilities in that uh, chain. But uh, I think most importantly, I think uh, what's happening is the uh, customer is getting. Uh, and 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 the the producer or the or the manufacturer is getting closer to the customer, and the number of steps that it goes through to be able to deliver that product are being shortened. I think now uh, there's almost like like farm to table. I would just say the next trend is going to be manufacturers to the to the home. Right, they don't need the middleman to you know uh, do much other than warehouse at this point. You know, uh, a lot of companies are now trying to uh, cut off the number of uh, steps that it takes for consumer to drop off the product. So uh, so that, that basic savings is going to be uh, that will empower uh, the customers to get access to the products faster. Uh, I, I would just say the trend that uh, Dell probably uh, started off 20 years ago, making sure that they'd ship a laptop straight to your door and that you could customize it. I think that, that trend is going to come in more industries in different forms now.
1: That's an interesting observation. I couldn't find hand sanitizer anywhere until I found a commercial company that produces it for a lot of the manufacturers that sell in retail shop, converted their commercial business into direct to consumer, and then I could order the product. And I was starting to say, if you think about it today, because of the distribution and the readily available uh, access to shipment services, uh, you really don't need the the, the middle uh, retailer to do this, and and it's a challenge because those retailers have been hit already pretty hard because of COVID nineteen. Now suddenly the manufacturers are like, well, we just survived. We had to go direct, and that's not a model we're going to necessarily change. So what happens to brick and mortar retailers? I mean, it's kind of an interesting uh, evolution, wouldn't you say?
2: Yeah. So I think I think the 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 footprint of the brick and mortar retailer is going to change. I think there was a, uh, I mean, I, I've not read the study post-pandemic, uh, but pre-pandemic, there was a study that a lot of the large malls are going to become experience uh, centers and uh, and uh, a lot of the uh, smaller uh, stores for, uh, format is going to be, uh, you know, the, the format of uh, coffee pickup or getting your uh, laundry done are going to be the format that's going to hit the stage. So, so I feel that that uh, is just based on the observation last eight months. It seems that the experience centers are now going to become mini warehouse spaces for, for curbside pickup. And, and, uh, and, and, the, and the smaller uh, retail locations closer to your, uh, let's say, neighborhood are also going to become some, sem- some level of pickup uh, places for you to pick up uh, you know, those items, essential items, without yeah. going into the store.
1: Interesting, it'll be. It remains to be seen what comes out of this, too. Some new ideas that. Haven't been thought of, yeah. I started thinking, what if people actually set, it up, set up little distribution centers right in their neighborhood, turn part of their houses into little distribution centers, pickup centers? Who knows? That, that's another gig economy that can be extended where you can oh, choose yeah. where you pick up your item, literally from your neighbor who might have room in their garage to pick up. Who knows? I mean, there's opportunity out of all these things. We're coming up on time. And uh, Rishi, it's been an interesting conversation. Definitely got me thinking a lot about... Uh, what's happening in this space and the need to uh you know get on board with it and 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 get creative you know change the way things have been done let's talk a little bit about your journey building this business and the culture of your company as we wrap up what would you say has made it exciting for you to be in this space and why do you keep being in this space
2: right so i think uh for me personally, uh, and for some of our p- folks in our organization, it's more about what impact we can bring uh, to our customers and the consumers. And so uh, everything that we do, we focus on the outcome. Uh, and so uh, keeping that in mind, our culture as a business uh, really focuses on making sure that everyone uh, you know, sort of focuses on their unique abilities because everyone is unique in what they can uh, do. And uh, the way our product projects are even staffed, uh, is that uh, you know there is a, a solution architect, there is a user experience designer, there is a uh, product owner, and there's a developer, and so everyone plays their own role. So from the unique abilities perspective, we want to make sure that everyone plays uh, you know uh, what they're really good at. And because of that diverse uh, set of teams that we have, uh, experience teams that we have, we are able to uh, build a great solution, and we are able to uh, bring a, a very a great product to the market. Uh, you know what makes our culture unique. Apart from that, is uh, you know uh, that uh, we all driven to become better every day. And uh, you know, uh, and uh, you know, I have a poster behind me as well, which talks about that. I want to be a best version of myself every day. And uh, so, everyone in the organization has, uh, uh, you know, has it has that. Uh, uh, I would say uh, importance of uh, investing in themselves and growing and becoming better, and uh, and focusing on our passions and, and our core values. So that sort of makes our uh, our culture pretty unique.
1: Well, Rishi, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, and thanks for joining us today. And uh, uh, we look forward to continuing to keep an eye on how things evolved, for sure. Uh, Carlos, what do we got coming up? Next two days, we have two more shows, right?
0: Yeah, two, Leo. Uh, Well, uh, tomorrow we're gonna be answering the question, can AI allow us to identify and achieve deep energy retrofits at scale? And that is with uh, Nishan Sangavi and Alex Corniglio, the CEO and CTO respectively of EnergyX Solutions with the topic, how data science is opening new doors in energy efficiency. And then on Thursday, We'll be speaking with Michael Gasiorek, the founder and CEO of the Truth Cartel, and we're going to be speaking about accelerating your authority. Four steps to winning over your industry. Uh, the, so this is a company that that uh, deals with uh, reputation uh, handling, and he's going to talk about how reputation matters or why reputation matters, and also uh, how to. We're going to learn how to build our personal platform to grow. Your influence and your income. So those are the two topics for the for this week. So
1: thank you, Great. right here on Dojo Live. Looking forward to it. See you all back tomorrow at one p.m. Pacific. Until then, stay safe. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.